Hello everyone, welcome to A Millennial Learn. Thank you all so much for listening and tuning in this week. Today is Thursday, so it is our Bible episode, and we are going over the book of Luke today. Now, we've done three Gospels right in a row. A lot of the same things are being shared because all the stories are more or less similar, but Luke actually has a good amount of variety, and I really, really enjoyed the book of Luke. So, welcome if you are new, welcome back if you are a returning listener, and let's get into the book of Luke. So Luke actually starts out with a kind of an account or a reason why the author is writing this and the purpose of the book. It says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. And so this author has carefully investigated everything from the beginning and decided to write an account of what happened when Jesus was on earth. So... First of all, it gives a lot more detail into John the Baptist's birth, the prophecy of John the Baptist's birth, and then the prophecy of Jesus' birth, and how the, it goes over the fact that they are actually co- cousins, I believe. Well, let's go over it and we will review. So, the birth of John the Baptist is foretold. There's a priest named Zechariah and his wife's name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, but they hadn't been able to have a child. Zechariah was burning incense one day in the temple and there were worshipers outside as like part of the whole, not ritual, but that was the tradition where the priest would go in, like do the offering or burn the incense, and then there would be worshipers outside. And an angel appeared to Zechariah inside the temple that Elizabeth will bear a son that they will call John. It said he is never going to take wine and will be filled with the Holy Spirit before he is even born. And he will bring many back to the Lord. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to make people prepared for the Lord. So he is the one that's to prepare the way for Jesus and prepare everyone's hearts, as we've seen in the other Gospels, to start preparing people about the message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So Zechariah questions this and said, like, how could this even happen? Because my wife is advanced years and I'm very old, all these things. And so since he did not believe the angel, he was mute. It said he would be mute until the day um, that this has been fulfilled. So he walks out. This is awkward because there are a bunch of worshipers outside. He walks out all starstruck and everything, but he can't talk. And so they've realized that he has seen a vision of something on the inside of the temple, but he is mute. So then right after that, Elizabeth became pregnant. Okay, then the birth of Jesus was foretold. So once Elizabeth was six months pregnant, Gabriel came to Mary. So in some of the other Gospels, we skip this part. This is like, since a lot of these other ones were like the eyewitness accounts, and this one is like a collective written later from the eyewitness accounts of all the people, this one kind of 
has a lot more detail filled in. So once Elizabeth was six months pregnant, Gabriel came to Mary. She was told, as we've reviewed, that she would have a son by the Holy Spirit. That would be Jesus. Now, um, it also says that the angel told Mary that Elizabeth was in her sixth month of pregnancy. So, hearing that, Mary ran to go see Elizabeth, and when Elizabeth heard the baby in her womb, like, when Elizabeth heard Mary's voice, the baby, so John, in her womb, leapt, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So, Elizabeth knew that Jesus was the Messiah when he was first conceived, because that was told, like, it was told to her that her son was preparing the way for the Messiah. Um, and then when Mary comes and visits, they talk about how he's the Messiah, basically. Okay, then Mary sings a song of worship. Some of the highlights of this are, from now on, generations will call me blessed. He has performed mighty deeds. And then Mary stayed with Elizabeth for three months and then went home. I've always imagined this as, like, a quick little visit for, like, an afternoon. She was there for three months. So I'm imagining she was there when John the Baptist was actually born. So... But the birth of John the Baptist, John was born and people wanted to name him Zacharias because his father's name, the priest, was named Zacharias. But Elizabeth and and uh, Zacharias was mute at this time. But Elizabeth, Elizabeth was faithful and named the baby John because that is what the angel told her to do. Okay, then Zechariah's song, it's another song of worship. He can talk again because it has been fulfilled and he prophesies that John will be a prophet of the most high. He will give people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of God. And then John eventually grew and became strong in the spirit. And it said he lived in the wilderness until he had appeared publicly to Israel. So a lot has happened even in that first chapter that a lot of the detail has been filled in that we haven't necessarily seen from other gospels. So then in Luke 2, talks about the birth of Jesus, talks about how Caesar Augustus issued a decree for a census, and so Joseph and Mary went up from Nazareth and eventually went to Bethlehem to their hometown to get counted for the census. Mary was expecting a child and gives birth in Bethlehem, and this one talks about how angels appear to shepherds in the field saying that the Messiah was born. It says that they will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. So the shepherds, after being approached by these angels, hurried off and found Jesus. Jesus was born on the eighth day because there's like a whole thing in Jewish culture where on the eighth day you're presented in the temple and circumcised. And so he was named on that circumcision eighth day of life. So Jesus was then presented in the temple. So it was time for the purification rites, which is where you make a special sacrifice for the firstborn. And a man named Simeon was, who was very righteous and devout, the Holy Spirit came on him and he said, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may know, you may now dismiss your servant in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation, which which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for the revelation of the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. This child is destined to 
cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So this man started prophesying about Jesus being the Messiah, being the one to save nations, to make nations rise and fall, and to reveal things in the heart. So this man knew that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was his savior, because he said, like, you can release me whenever now because I have seen my salvation. Okay, then it says Jesus became, Jesus grew and became strong. Now, this is like the only book, I think, at least the only book so far that talks about Jesus as like a teenager or a, as a child. And it says that Jesus' family went to Jerusalem for Passover when he was 12. That was customary. They would travel and be in the temple for the festivals. So after the festival, his parents went home and traveled for a full day before realizing Jesus was not with them. It says that they like assumed that Jesus was in their company and so they just like carried on. And then a day into their travels, they were like, where's Jesus? And panicked, I'm sure, turned around and tried to go get him. Now, I'm assuming it wasn't just like Mary, Joseph, and Jesus because otherwise they would obviously know that Jesus was not there. I am assuming that they traveled in huge like packs so everyone that was traveling to you know back to their hometown because a lot of people travel to uh, Jerusalem for these festivals would all go together so I can just imagine like this big caravan of like uh, a bunch of adults and then a bunch of kids and then just assuming Jesus was somewhere within the kids and he was not so they rushed back and they found him in the temple asking questions to the teachers and among the teachers in the temple courts. And Jesus at the age of 12 said, why are you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And it sounded like Mary and Joseph were confused, which, and I was honestly confused why they would be confused because they were told that he was the savior, but no one had ever really experienced that before. And it had been 12 years. And so I'm sure the novelty maybe could wear off like, okay, yeah, that's Jesus. Like he's perfect, whatever. Um, and so maybe they kind of didn't fully appreciate like the promise of God right at that moment, or they were still confused. Cause you don't really expect that out of any normal 12 year old. So, um, it could still be shocking, even if you know that Jesus is the Messiah. Okay, then in Luke 3, John the Baptist prepares the way. So the word of God came to John in the wilderness and told him to go preach. So he started preaching the repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He calls some people, you brood of vipers. Um, he tells people to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. He says, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Um, and he like to go along with this he tells tax collectors to not collect any more than required which was a big thing back then so like the tax collectors are seen as sinners because they would swindle people out of their money they would like collect way more there was like not a lot of regulation with it and so they would be rich just from swindling people and so part of that like as an example he was like tax collectors don't collect any more than required so people started wondering if john was the messiah and herod like he, he denies it but then Herod heard about all of this and uh, John's signs and things and threw him in prison okay so then we have the baptism of 
and genealogy of Jesus. This is interesting that it came after, not like by his birth, but I heard, and I'm going to do a whole episode about how the four gospels like differ from each other, I think. Um, but basically they show this to, I heard a whole sermon about this, how they list this here, um, to show that basically Jesus is like the rightful heir. So he, it shows that he has a line through David on like the earthly line through David, um, you know, and goes all the way back to Adam and Eve and shows that he is the son of man. So, um, so Jesus came to be baptized. Heaven was open. The Holy Spirit came on him. And then there was a voice that said, you are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. Okay. Luke four, Jesus is tested in the wilderness. There were the three like tests. So he's hungry for 40 days and 40 nights, very thirsty and stuff. But at that height of like his physical need, the devil said, if you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And then Jesus's response was, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil showed him all the kingdoms of the world and said, if you worship me, it will be all yours. And Jesus said, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So he's obviously not going to worship the devil. And then the devil says to, like, he takes him to the highest place on the temple and says, throw yourself down from here. And he actually quoted scripture. This is like one of my favorite parts. He said, he quoted the scripture that says like, angels will catch you and not let you strike your foot against a stone. And this is why the devil is so tricky because people do this all the time. They take Bible verses and twist them to mean whatever they want. I heard one of my friends from college, like, post this whole thing about how abortion is totally fine because at one point, um, during a pour out of wrath from God in the Old Testament, um, one of the lines in there was like that nursing or that mothers would be like, or pregnant women would be split open, whatever. And it was like a war scene. And they're like, see, that means abortion is totally fine. You know, people do this all the time. They justify evil through, with one Bible verse taken out of context. So, um, this is what the devil tried to do. And then he, the, uh, Jesus said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. He said, is it also written? Which is why we need to be well-versed in the Bible. So, um, okay. Okay. Jesus was rejected at Nazareth. So Jesus went down to Nazareth. Previously, it said that um, he was rejected in his hometown, like in other books. It said like, oh yeah, the prophet is always never given honor in his hometown. But this goes into way more detail. So I'm just going to read this section of how he was rejected in his hometown because it was very interesting. So it said he went to Nazareth where he, it had been, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was custom. He stood up and read, and the scroll, uh, as was this, oh yeah, he stood up and read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him to read. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So basically saying like, I'm here. <laughs> all spoke well, 
all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, Do hear in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, not Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on the town. Oh, wait. Oh, gosh. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went his way. Okay. So, he basically was saying, I think, that people in your, like the prophet's hometown because they've grown up with him don't have the faith that he is that they are a true prophet or in this case that he's a messiah and so no one's healed in their hometown because um there is little faith most of the time in the healing miracles they say your faith has healed you or if something doesn't happen it says you have little faith so i think this is like a burn at the people of the town to say like you grew up with Jesus just being here, you don't have faith that he's a messiah, and so, like, no miracles are done here. Because otherwise, they wouldn't be offended if it was just like, oh, prophets go to their hometown and nothing seems to happen. It would just be, like, a, an interesting observation. But since they're so offended, I think it's, um, he's basically calling them out for not having enough faith. So, he's on his way now, he's out of his hometown, and Jesus drives out an impure spirit spirit and again the impure spirit is calling out that he is the holy one of god so even they know and then uh, it says jesus heals many so jesus went and healed simon's mother-in-law from a fever and healed a bunch of people with a variety of sicknesses and then um all these people in this new town saw that he was like healing so many that they tried to keep him from leaving because they're like no keep doing this you're amazing but he said he had to go and tell other people and he had to be on his way in luke 5 jesus calls his first disciples so jesus had a crowd around him and it was like overwhelming and he was by a lake so he climbed into a boat of simon's and pushed off a little bit and started teaching from the boat to the people on the shore then he told Simon to go put nets out in deep water and Simon's like well that's kind of dumb because we have done everything all night we've worked hard all night and not caught a single thing but because you say so I will just let down the nets and they caught so many fish that their nets began to break they filled the boat so much that their boats began to sink and Simon Peter asked Jesus to go away because he was a sinful man he's like basically like I am not good enough to be in your presence if you are the Messiah and you have done this whole miracle, like I am too sinful to be with you. And Jesus said, I don't care. Come with me. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Okay. Then a man told everyone, um, then Jesus heals a man with leprosy and a man told everyone and even more crowds came to go hear Jesus and have them be healed. Um, 
Jesus forgives and heals a paralyzed man. So Jesus tells the man that his sins are forgiven. The Pharisees, of course, are up in arms because they're like, who do you think you are? You cannot forgive sins. And Jesus says, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? And the man was healed and walked away. Okay, Jesus then calls Levi to be a disciple who is a tax collector. And people are questioning why Jesus hangs out with these sinners and tax collectors. And Jesus comes back with the famous, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And he said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Which makes me feel pretty good. (laughs) Um, And then Jesus was questioned about fasting. So why don't you fast and pray like John and his disciples? Jesus' response was, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. So once he's gone, they'll fast. But for right now, they are celebrating. It said, no one tears out a piece of new garment to patch an old one. No one, after drinking old wine, wants the new, for they say the old is better. Okay, Luke... Did I misspeak? Oh, yeah. Okay, so that was Luke 5. In Luke 6, it says that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Um, This is where, like... We've heard the story a bunch of times where the disciples eat grain and then they get called out and said, you know, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Then he calls the 12 apostles. So now he has a full set of 12 disciples with him. And then it talks about the Sermon on the Mount, which includes the blessings and woes, love for your enemies, judging others, a tree and its fruit, and the wise and foolish builders. All of these were gone into detail in the Matthew episode, which was a couple back. So um, I would recommend listening to that one if you want more depth on the Sermon on the Mount. In Luke 7, um, we it talks about the faith of the centurion, which is where a army commander has a servant who is sick. And like Jesus says, okay, let me come to you. I will heal the servant. And he said, listen... I, ha- I am a centurion. I run an army. I have men who, if I just say a word, they just go do it. They can take commands. You, There is no need for you to come into my house. I do not deserve for you to come into my house. Just say the word that my servant will be healed, and I have faith that they'll be healed. And so Jesus was, like, impressed with this man's faith. Okay, then in this whole town knew a boy was dead, and Jesus told him to get up, and he was raised back from the dead. It was a widow's son. And then there was a whole account of Jesus and John the Baptist. So John the Baptist sent some his some of his disciples to ask if Jesus was really the Messiah. Jesus sent back like the quote that says, lame walk, deaf hear, mute are talking. That's not part of the quote, but uh, the mute speak, I think. Um, anyway, so he sends back basically saying like, all these things have been, pr- have been proven and I am the Messiah. And then Jesus is talking, he says, no one greater than John the Baptist has been born of a woman, but the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So the tax collectors understood they had been baptized by him, but the Pharisees did not understand this. They were like, you know, so this is just showing that God is really preaching to the humble of heart and the people that are willing to be repentant. They called John the Baptist demon-possessed. And they called Jesus a glutton and a drunkard. So Jesus here says that like, listen, John the Baptist came not drinking and fasting. 
and you call him demon-obsessed. Well, I come eating and drinking, and you call me a glutton and a drunkard. Like, you can't win with the Pharisees. Um, and then Jesus was anointed by a sinful woman. So this is the first time, I think, that they have specified that the woman who anoints Jesus was sinful. So Jesus was in a Pharisee's house. When this happened, she anointed him with, like, with oil on his feet and stuff. And the Pharisee said, if this man is a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. Um... And then, instead of directly responding, Jesus is such a boss. He, like, turns to Simon, who's also there, and says, Simon, I have something to tell you. Two debtors are, or to ask you, two debtors are forgiven. One had a debt of $500, let's say, and one had a debt of 50. Who will love him more? And Simon says, well, I guess the one with the bigger debt, because you forgave, you forgave more. And Jesus said, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. So Jesus doesn't care if it's a sinner that is anointing his feet or touching him. He's like, listen, he, she loves me so much because she has had so much sin that has all been forgiven that she's so grateful and loves me. So it does not matter her past sin. Okay, then we have talked about these many times as well. I would recommend going back to the Matthew episode, but he goes over the parable of the sower, lamp on the stand, Jesus's mother and brothers, and then Jesus calms the storm. Um, this is not the one where he walks on water, just where the, they're in a boat. The disciples see a huge storm. He calms it and they're like, oh my gosh, who is this man? He can even subdue weather. Um, and then again, we've also been over this one where the... Um, legion demon or set of demons comes out of the man and into the pigs and then Jesus um, heals the woman who's bleeding and raises a dead girl who everyone thought was dead but he said she's not dead she's just asleep so all those have been in both uh, other gospels and they've been pretty similar Jesus then sends out the 12 disciples they have the authority to drive out demons and cure diseases it says to take nothing for the journey and Herod keeps trying to see him because he keeps hearing about him, but he isn't really able to because of the crowds and everything. Okay, Jesus then feeds the 5,000 with a, just a few loaves of bread and a couple fish. And then Peter here declares that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus asks, who am I? Who do people say I am? And then he says, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets long ago that has come back to life. And Jesus says, what about you? What do you say I am? And Peter answered, God's Messiah. Okay, Jesus predicts his death, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and the law, and that he will be raised to life. Okay, then it talks about the transfiguration, but I wanted to just read part of the transfiguration because I think it's been kind of vague in my other episodes. So, it says, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up on the mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. 
let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying, it says. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud, saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at the time what they had seen. So that's what the transfiguration actually is. I didn't know that for a very long time, but in Catholic circles, that's like a huge deal. And growing up, I didn't really realize what that was. Okay, Jesus heals a demon-possessed boy. The disciples could not throw it out. And Jesus said, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Because he's saying like, the disciples have so little faith they couldn't throw out this demon. So then Jesus predicts his death. He said he will be delivered into the hands of men. Um, But the disciples were like, not sure what this meant. Uh, Then the disciples saw someone driving out demons in Jesus's name and tried to stop them. And Jesus said, don't do that. Anyone who is not against you is for you. Then there was Samaritan opposition. So a Samaritan village did not welcome Jesus because he was going through to Jerusalem. It was basically like the Samaritans and the Israelites or whatever didn't like each other. And so since he was going into Jerusalem, the Samaritan, the Samaritan village didn't welcome him. And the disciples were like, should we call fire down from heaven to destroy them? And Jesus was like, you guys are missing the entire point and are stupid. No, don't do that. So then Jesus talks about the cost of following him. It says, let the dead bury their own dead. This is that part where someone says, I want to follow you, but can I first go bury my father? And he said, let the dead bury their own dead. And then someone else said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus said, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service of the kingdom of God. So it's like, you have to have this as your number one priority here. Luke 10 uh, says Jesus sends out the 72, which before I don't think it's specified that there were 72 going out. Um, It says he sent out 72 workers two by two. And uh, he said, wait, oh yeah. Ask the Lord to send out workers into the harvest field. So it says to go in in a house in the village, come and say, you come in peace, stay there, eat and drink as long as they'll, you know, offer and don't move from house to house within the village. Tell everyone that the kingdom of God has come near. And if they don't accept you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Then he talks about, he says, woe to to these certain cities because they have seen miracles and still not repented. Like they have seen the power of God and have not repented. And then, you know, they started casting out demons and they were like excited about it. They were rejoicing that these spirits, um, obeyed them. We said, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And then I just want to read this couple of verses right here. It says, all things have been committed to me by my father. No one knows who the son is except the father. And no one knows who the father is except the son and those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you did, see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. And he's basically saying like, you are very lucky to be living at this time right now. 
Okay, then there is the parable of the Good Samaritan. So it goes like this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and with your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw him pass by on the other side. Uh, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring, in oil, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave, him, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? That expert in the robbers in the law replied the one who had mercy on him Jesus told him go and do likewise so basically you're just supposed to help people and be a good human being to other people no matter if you are technically neighbors because the Samaritans and the man who got robbed were not technically living by each other okay then Jesus went um, to the house of Mary and Martha Martha is all worried and upset about the things around the house that need to be done, but Mary is just sitting at the feet of Jesus, like listening to every word. And Mary, and he said, Martha, like you're so worried about this stuff, but Mary has chosen to do what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Okay, Luke 11, Jesus is teaching on prayer. So Jesus taught the disciples the Lord's prayer and asked, and said, ask and it will be given, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. Then it goes into uh, Pharisees calling Jesus like the prince of the demons because he's casting out demons. And this is where he does the whole famous thing about um, a kingdom divided will not stand. Then they're asking for a sign. He again says that the only sign that this generation will get is a sign of Jonah who stayed in the belly of the whale for three days. Likewise, he will be in the belly of the earth for three days and then raised up. Talks about the lamp of the body. Um, which we've talked about before, and then talks about the woes on the Pharisees and the experts of the law. It says, You Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, uh, rue and all other herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you Pharisees because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing. One of the experts in the law answered him, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Jesus replied, and you experts in the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can, hardly, they can hardly carry and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help. Woe to you because you build tombs for the prophets 
and it was your ancestors who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Woe to you experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who are entering. When Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. Okay, then Luke 12, there are warnings and encouragements. So Luke also focuses a lot on the crowds. He said, be on guard against the yeast of the Pharisees. Um, what you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. He also said, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but not do anything else. Be fearful of the one who has the authority to throw you into hell. So like only have the fear of God. And this is the best. Are, five, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows, which I love. And then says, whoever acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will acknowledge before the angels of God, and whoever blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. So this is interesting because he doesn't actually put the unforgivable sin in where it usually is when the Pharisees call him demon-possessed. He writes that Jesus kind of did that in a separate teaching. Okay, the parable of the rich fool. So it says to be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And then this parable was, he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Okay, then it says, do not worry. Now, this is my favorite part of the entire book. Do not worry about what you will eat or wear. Ravens don't sow or reap, yet God feeds them. Who of you will add a single hour to your life by worrying? Then he says, wildflowers do not labor or spin, yet they are clothed more beautifully than Solomon. So how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? says, seek, instead of worrying about these things, seek his kingdom first, and then all these things will be added unto you. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail. And then it talks about being watchful, so getting dressed and ready for service. Keep your lamps burning. So like servants waiting for their master to get home late at night, always be ready. Because then the master will dress himself to serve, tell them to recline. So this is like the, again, opposite principle of the kingdom of God. So like where a servant would usually obviously serve his master, the master will now serve the servant. It said that he's not come to bring peace, but division, which is confusing, but it makes sense because like some will believe in him, some won't. He is 
some families will be divided. Um, and then he says, like, listen, you see clouds on the horizon and think, like, oh, it's going to rain. But you can't interpret the signs of the time. Um, and then he talks about trying hard to settle things with each other without going to court. So kind of an interesting little tidbit thrown in at the end. Then he says in Luke 13, to repent or you will surely perish. Um, and he talks about how like a man who has a fig tree that's not producing fruit will want to cut it down. And someone says like, leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit the next year, fine. If not, cut it down. Same thing with the kingdom of God. If you don't repent, you'll be cut down. Jesus then heals a crippled woman on the Sabbath. Of course, the Pharisees have an issue with this. And he says, you hypocrites, don't you untie your ox or donkey from the stall on the Sabbath? Shouldn't this woman be set free on the Sabbath day as well? Then there's the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast, which we have gone over in both of the other gospels. It talks about the narrow door. Make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. And then Jesus is sorrow, sorry for Jerusalem because Jerusalem kills all these prophets and they're just not obedient or repentant. Okay, Luke 14, Jesus is at the Pharisee's house, and there's a man with abnormal swelling in his body who's healed on a Sabbath, and he again owns them and said, like, uh, which one of you, if a child falls into the well on the Sabbath, wouldn't go get them? Like, I'm going to heal on the Sabbath. Um, okay, the parable of the great banquet. We've talked about this one as well, but basically there's a great banquet prepared and this king says invite all the people that I know but one by one they all have excuses why they can't come so he says go out into the street and go get anyone you can to come to this banquet and that is the principle of, like the last will be first the people who you think who would in the world standards be like invited to the banquet are not going to be in the you know in heaven Okay, he talks about the cost of being the disciple, and he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. So you cannot prioritize family ties over the kingdom. You can't just say, well, I'm not going to talk about Jesus or do or follow Jesus because my family doesn't follow Jesus. If you're not willing to do that, you are not a disciple. Luke 15 talks about the parable of the lost sheep, so like how he'll go after the one and leave the 99 to go after the one, how there's um, the parable of the lost coin, where a woman has 10 coins, loses one, and then when she finds the one lost one, says, hey, come rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. And the parable of the prodigal son, so all these are like in the same chapter and all say the same thing, where there is much rejoicing in heaven if one person comes back and is repentant um they will rejoice over that so there's like one son that's done it well the whole time and one son that's like squandered all of his money been terrible and come back and ask for forgiveness and there's all this celebration and the son who has been righteous the whole time is like what about me and he's like listen your brother has come back and repented there is rejoicing so that's just like us when we repent and return to the faith there's much rejoicing in heaven okay luke 16 talks about the parable of the shrewd manager so 
Um, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. Uh, the manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My man, my master is taking away my job. I am not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors and he basically tells everyone to write down a lesser amount of, uh, um, things that they owe. So like instead of a thousand bushels, it says, take your bill and make it 800. So the master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly for the people in this world are more shrewd in their dealing with their own kind than there then are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will have welcomed, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So he was shrewd, but that's like not the way of heaven. Whoever can be trusted with little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little can be dishonest with very much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? So he's saying that the, the money that you get is God's property. If you have not been good with that, how can you be trusted with true riches? Okay, then he does some other teachings about um, it is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of the pen to drop out of the law. So like the law is being fulfilled. And then he talks about divorce and um, how if you like remarry, it is considered adultery. Okay, then there was the rich man and Lazarus. It says there was a rich man and who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate, he, there laid a beggar named Lazarus covered in sores. Um, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. So that's heaven. The rich man also died and was buried and he went to Hades. So he was in torment. It talks about how he was in torment and he said, like, please come rescue me. And Lazarus said, like, or the beggar said, I can't. There's a chasm between us. You cannot reach to the side. And he said, please go back and tell my family that this is real so that they can be spared. And he said, listen, there have been prophets and everyone has been sent to tell them they would believe. Even if I send someone now, they wouldn't believe because they don't believe the prophets that are already there. So that's like what a lot of people I feel like I've heard. It's like, if you could see miracles today, if you could see this today, if I could see Jesus in person, I would believe but there's all these accounts of Jesus. There's all these prophets. There's all these things and you still don't believe. So you probably wouldn't believe even if you saw a miracle. Okay. Um, let's see. Luke 17. Woe is anyone through whom things that cause people to stumble come. So don't cause people to stumble. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. But if they repent, forgive them. This was against the teaching of the time, which was like eye for an eye. This is like, even if they come back, like 49 times or whatever and they say they are repentant forgive them okay jesus heals men with leprosy he heals 10 men with leprosy but only one comes back to give praise to god um which i think i'm bad at like coming back and giving praise to god for things that he has given me and i saw this tweet the other day that was like you are living one of the one of the promises 
or you are living out one of the things that you prayed for like a while ago that didn't make sense they worded it way better but basically it was like I used to pray for a husband now I'm living with a great husband so sometimes I don't take the time to go back and actually be grateful for the things that he has come he has made happen he has answered my prayer and I am living out an answered prayer so I need to be continuously grateful for that um, and then he talks about how the coming of the kingdom of God, like how the son of man will be like lightning when he returns, like it'll be very, very quick. He, in Luke 18, talks about the parable of the persistent widow. So a widow was asking for justice for the person that was against her and the judge wasn't really doing anything, but she came back and it was so persistent that the judge was like, fine, I'll do it just so you, you know, just cause you've been persistent. And likewise, God will give justice to his chosen ones. There is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Basically, a Pharisee stands by himself and is like, God, thank you that I'm not like other people, like these robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or tax collectors. Like, even this tax collector, like, standing next to me. Thank you that I'm not like him. I am righteous, I fast, and I give a tenth. But the tax collector stood at a distance and would not even look up to heaven and said, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. All those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. Um, he talks about having childlike faith to enter the kingdom of God, and it's hard for the rich to follow uh, God, to follow Jesus, because this wealthy man would not sell all he had to follow Jesus. Okay, Jesus then predicts his death a third time, and a blind beggar receives his sight. Okay, Luke 19... Uh, talks about Zacchaeus the tax collector he was the chief tax collector and he wanted to see Jesus but the crowds were way too big so he climbed up in a tree Jesus looked up directly at him and called him by name and said Zacchaeus come down I must stay at your house and he stood up and repented and said that he would pay back four times um, the amount of anyone who he has cheated Okay, then there's a parable of ten minas, minas or something. I said that like a Spanish word, but it's minas. But I'm just going to say money. <laughs> he left money with three people. Um, to some, he gave, gave ten, who gained ten more. One, he gained, <clears throat> he gave five, he gained five more. And one, he gave one and just hid it and didn't invest in anything. So he to the person who didn't invest in anything, he just, he said like, Take away his and give it to the one with ten. And to everything who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. So this guy uh, with ten things of money or whatever was responsible with it, gained ten more, he gained even more. Um, and that is like a principle that's run through throughout Luke. Jesus comes to Jerusalem as the king. This is the first... Uh, Palm Sunday, so this is where they go get the colt, bring it over, and they worship him coming in. And then Jesus at the temple, so he drove out the people at the temple courts uh, who were selling things. He said, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. So at this point, the Pharisees have had enough. They're trying to kill him, but the people are hanging on to his every word and always around him, and they could just not find a way to kill him. In Luke 20, the authority of Jesus was questioned John, and John's baptism origin was questioned. Like, he caught him in a catch-22. We've talked about this one a few times. 
um, or if they say that they don't believe that John the Baptist or uh, baptism was of heaven origin, like then they're just not believing. And if they say that it's of human, then they're calling John the Baptist a liar and there will be a riot against them. Uh, then there's the parable of the tenants where a man or an owner of like a field or something sends servants out to go collect money, I think. And the servant is beaten, sends another one, he's beaten. Finally, he sends his son, which is a parable for Jesus, and they beat him too. So like the the parable is about the Pharisees mistreating Jesus. Uh, in this also, this is where he says to give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what's God's when he's asked about paying taxes. He says that marriage is irrelevant after the resurrection. And he has a warning against the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces. Um, but they devour widows' houses for a show and make lengthy prayers. These men will be severely punished. All right, Luke 21, the widow's offering. So she gives out of her poverty, and that is considered more in the kingdom of heaven than someone with a lot of money giving just like a little bit of what they have. Um, and then he talks about this destruction of the temple and the sign of the end times. He's talking about how two stones will not remain on each other after this, and uh, there will be wars and plagues and famines and all these things when you hear these things it's like it's a sign that the coming of the end is near it says be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing drunkenness and anxieties of life that and that day will close on you suddenly like a trap for it will come on all those who live on the face of the earth be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the son of man all right, Luke 22, Judas agrees to betray Jesus. Doesn't agree on the 30 pieces of silver. Like, it doesn't mention how much, but it does agree to give him money. And then it goes through the Last Supper. It talks about who, like, that someone is going to betray him. And the disciples actually, like, debate about who is going to um, betray him. Um, and then Jesus predicts that Peter is going to betray him three times. Jesus then goes and prays on the Mount of Olives and says, like, I don't want to do this, but if this is your will, I will. And that is when Judas comes, gives Jesus a kiss, um, and said, Jesus said, like, Judas, have you, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Like, really? Um, so one of the disciples is trying to defend him, <clears throat> is trying to defend Jesus and cuts off the high priest's ear. Jesus touches the man's ear and heals him and then is still taken away and arrested. Like, you can see with your plain eyes that this is the Messiah, and yet they're taking him away. Peter fulfills the prophecy and disowns Jesus three times very quickly, and the third time happens, like, right as the rooster is crowing. Okay, then the guards mock Jesus and blindfold him and hit him and say, prophesy, who hit you? Like, they're very, very cruel. And then Jesus stands before Pilate and Herod again. They, like, we've gone over this part in past gospel episodes, but they ask him if he's the son of God, if he's the king of the Jews. And they say, like, he says, you say that I am. And they say, we have heard it from your own lips. In Luke 23, it continues the story of how he's before Pilate and Herod. So Pilate finds no basis for a charge against him, sends him over to Herod. 
Herod has been wanting to see him for a long time, but, you know, and Herod's soldiers mocked him and stuff, but again, finds no reason for an actual charge, so sends him back to Pilate. Pilate tells the people that, like, I have no basis of a charge, Herod doesn't either, so I want to release him, but Pilate, but the crowd demands that Barabbas, who is an actual murderer, is released instead, and that they crucify Jesus. So eventually, Pilate just has to give in and say, like, okay, this is what they want, but I do not agree with this. Um, so they crucify Jesus. It says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Um, they're mocking him and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And then this was interesting. So it says, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, saying, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Then uh, Jesus died, the sky darkens. He said, Father, into your hands I commit your spirit, and he dies. Um... Then it talks about how people say, like, surely this was a righteous man because of all that happened, but it's kind of vague on, like, what happened, like, the earthquake and temple torn in two and stuff. Okay, then a man named Joseph was a good and upright man who did not agree with the crucifixion. He asked for Jesus' body and wrapped it in cloth, and then women followed him and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it and started preparing spices and perfumes for his body. But they couldn't actually like finish that because it was the sabbath coming up and so they rested on the sabbath then the final chapter of luke jesus has risen um he is on the road to emmaus i don't know how to say that but jesus appears to his disciples um so we've it this is kind of the same thing as the other gospels as well but jesus the, the women go to the tomb see that jesus has risen he is on the way and appears to his disciples and then it talks about the ascension of Jesus <clears throat> so he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany lifted his hands and blessed them was taken up to heaven and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy so that is where Luke leaves off this was a pretty long episode so um thank you all for listening and I really 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 enjoyed the gospel of Luke. I think it goes into a, a lot more detail that like than some of them in some areas. And I really, really enjoyed that. So let me know what you think. DM me, go follow me on Instagram at Abby Rancor. And thank you all so much for listening. I will be back with another Bible episode next Thursday and with a topic, just a regular topic that I wanted to learn about on Monday. And this week's episode topic is, um, Wow, I just blanked because I got a text and I just started reading it. Um, but on Monday, the episode topic is the beliefs of the Amish and the Mennonite. Because when I was in Michigan, I saw a bunch of, there's like a big Amish and Mennonite communities around the area. And so I've always been curious about what they believe. And so I did a little deep dive into the Amish and Mennonite beliefs, beliefs and how they differ. So... Looking forward to that on Monday, and I will see you then. Have a great weekend, everyone. Bye.